In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I was put on this earth to help men feel. Those mental blocks are those nasty words, those negating words that I can't, I won't, you know, it's not possible. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, your host for today's show. Hey, guys, I'm super excited about today's guest. This guy specializes in counseling men through their mental blocks on the way to becoming their best version. He actually helps them to get out of a mental rut, and he uses his past experiences and his technical training to do so. You're going to have a a great experience with today's guest. But first, I want to get into our man laws. Remember, our man laws are supplied by you, our listeners. And whenever we do use one of your man laws, if you just hit us up, we will uh, send you some swag. It's our way of saying thanks. So this week's man law is simply this. If you are a guest at somebody's house and you go to the restroom and run out of toilet paper, it is your responsibility to replace that toilet paper roll the same way they had it, either paper over the top or paper under the bottom. I prefer in our house, we go paper over the top, but you need to make sure you do it however they do it because it is their house and it is their choice regarding the toilet paper roll over the top or under the bottom. So there's your man law today, guys. Uh, Again, these are funny and they're fun. They're not, don't take the man laws too serious, but maybe a little bit, okay? And uh, this week's uh, hero story comes from Jorge, and Jorge writes this. He, he wrote a long testimony of his life and his story, but, but I'm going to condense it for the sake of time. He said, I want to thank you for being a voice for men. The truth is that this morning I felt hopeless and even had thoughts of ending my life. I came across your podcast. I'm glad I did. I'm a believer in Jesus, but have been struggling and trusting his plans for my life. I find myself asking when I can catch a break uh, in life. And then he, he, he concluded with saying, may the Lord continue to bless you always. Thank you. It was a great, he shared a great story, very vulnerable. So Jorge, thank you so much for sharing that hero story. Guys, shoot us those hero stories, how God is using our ministry uh, to impact your life. Hey guys, when you send us your physical mailing address at info at menandarena.org, let us know that you we use your man law or your hero story. We will shoot you some swag. So thanks a lot, guys, for continuing to share your story with us. Hey guys, you're about to hear a great conversation with Omar Pinto. We're talking about how to overcome mental blocks, how to deal with your pain points, how to step into your best self. But I got to tell you, um, Omar and I share some pretty radically different beliefs, and I think that's going to come out early on in the podcast. So I want you to to just understand that and enjoy the show. He's got some great things to say, uh, so you have to pick and choose a little bit, but he does have some different beliefs than I have. And so, but we thought this would be a great show for you to listen to anyway. So enjoy the podcast. So Omar, why don't you take a minute and tell our guys a little bit about your journey and how you got from where you were uh, 15 years ago, let's say, to the point you are today and and how you overcame those mental blocks to become uh, this version of yourself. Okay. So really uh, my, my journey of personal development really began uh, when I hit rock bottom with drugs and alcohol. So Mm -hmm. um, I had my first drink when I was 16 years old. 
Um, and it was the first time that I felt comfortable in my own skin, comfortable in my own body. Um, and from then on, I knew that that was something that was going to be a part of my life. It was going to enhance my, my ability to feel good about myself. And so I would say from about 16 till about 30 was this trajectory of, you know, first it was alcohol, then it was marijuana, and then it was whatever was at the party. Uh, cocaine was really the thing that, that took me down. So um, I was married. I was, um, my wife was probably about six months pregnant. Um, and I was heavily, heavily addicted to, to cocaine and alcohol. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Um and I en and ended up just in a, a moment where uh, for someone like myself, we're going to be, you know, one of the things that we were going to discuss is religious trauma. Uh, my mother is uh -huh. still a Jehovah's Witness. She's a Jehovah's Witness. So technically Christianity. Um, so the, I left the, the, the faith um, at 18 years old. Like right when I turned 18, I was legally able to make my own choices. I bailed out. I basically walked away from from the religion, walked away from spirituality and ultimately walked away from God. Like I just really lumped them all together and, and just said, I don't need this. Right. And there was a moment in my life. I was I, I think I was probably about 30, 29, 30 years old. Uh, wife's pregnant. I'm struggling tremendously. I got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't know who you are, or what you are, if you exist, but. I can't do this anymore. You know, I, mm. I, I'm ready to, I'm ready to check out, you know, my, my wife doesn't need this. My daughter doesn't need this. She doesn't need this person in her life. And my daughter cer certainly doesn't need this. So I'm ready to go. Right. I was in a really, wow. really, wow. really bad place. I'd done a lot of drugs. You know, my heart was racing. And I said, the last thing I said in my prayer was, or help me get clean. And it came from a place wow. that was so, so pure. I never, you know, there was so many times you guys have ever heard of foxhole prayer prayers, you yep, know, like, yep. God, you know, get me out of this mess. And I promise I'll never do it again. It wasn't one of those. It was uh, like, I'm done. Right. So either take me out or, or help me get clean. Uh, the next morning I woke up and um, I remembered that I had gone to a therapist and a therapist had told me, you know, I can't really help you. Um, but wow, you know, what has helped drug addicts over the years, most, the most success that I have seen with drug addicts is 12 step programs. And there mm -hmm. is a 12 step fellowship. And I was like, nah, 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 no. Nah. I'd rather just come to a therapist. I'd rather just pay you once a week to come see. He goes, you can come see me once a week, but it's not going to have the, 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 the impact that going to a daily recovery meeting is going to have in your life. It's really mm -hmm. going to give you a foundation and accountability and support, right? I rejected it. And then that morning I woke up and the, all I could, all I could see his face and I could hear his voice. And I just got up, got dressed, didn't take a shower. I didn't know what time it was. I just had at that time, I, you, you want to now in retrospect, I had faith that uh -huh. if I got dressed, got in the car, drove to this, to this therapist's office that he was going to help me. And it just so happened he was there. I said, I need help. You know, please help me. So he gave me directions to get to, to my first narcotics anonymous meeting. And wow. that's where my, where my journey began. Uh, I walked into a group of, of men that I did not know. I said, my name's Omar. I'm an addict. I need help. I said, we're, we'll, we'll help you. You know, it's amazing how it's been, you know, over 20 years and I'm still wow. so emotional when I talk about that moment, cause it was so life-changing, you know, and, and it, it helps it, it. I guess every time I tell the story, it helps me reconnect with just how bad it was. Cause I forget, you know, my life is like amazing today. Um, but I have, but I guess it's important to, to keep it in mind because I, I walked in, I said, I need help. And these men just surrounded me. I said, we'll help you. You know, um, I picked up a sponsor that day. I picked up a sponsor that day and I started working the 12 step program, right? I started working narcotics anonymous and, you know, it was not an easy road. It was very, very difficult. I, I ended up having a relapse. Um, my daughter, um, she was born and I was, I was still struggling. Um, 
but I remember holding her in my hands, my arms, you know, when she was born that first day, you know, struggling so bad, desperate, you know, and I just remember holding her in the, in the, in the, in the hospital, just saying, God, help me, you know, help me. Cause she deserves, you know, better mm-hmm. than this mm-hmm. she deserves a good man, you know, someone she can, she can, she can be proud of somebody that she can depend on somebody that can provide for her. Right. And that became my journey. You know, that became my, my, my journey. And no matter how hard it got, you know, I just finished listening to, uh, to Robert Owens podcast with you guys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, He's a stallion. I almost, <laughs> I almost, I almost didn't show up after listening to that. I was like, yeah, wow, how am I gonna follow this guy? Right? Like, I don't care who beast. you are. You he's listen to that podcast. Savage. Hey, I don't care who you are. You listen to that podcast and you go, I'm so soft. Yes. <laughs> seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Are you kidding me? And he was at oh. 70 years old. Yeah, anyway, let's oh. not even go there because I because I have enough problems in my life. I don't even think about how bad <laughs> I am compared to that guy. <laughs> anyway. Well, hey, hey, Omar, you know what? Uh and, and when I was researching this show, what you just did is what I saw on your website. I, I sensed an authenticity about you, and I just kind of resonated with that. I thought, this is going to be so fun today. Well, plus, you're another bald guy, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I like those guys better than the guys with hair. So, Me too. But you, but you, you said something. You said something. And, and the guys who are who, – if you are not watching this interview on YouTube and you're listening to this – uh, in your car on the way to work, Omar is still wiping his eyes. He was he was weeping over this pain, going back, uh, revisiting his story, and and you you brought up a pain point in your life, you know. And I I tell stories of 25, 30 years ago, and they still draw emotion out of me. So can we just start with that? Can we just start with these these pain points and why they're so important to identify? Well, the, the pain points are really where we get stuck. So we were talking about, yeah. you know, we say, you know, um, you know, mental blocks. What was that? What was the quote you said we were going to tweet it? Uh, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Mental, mental blocks, blocks are the only blocks. Yes. Okay. And they all stem from these pain points. So whenever we're whenever we experience tr- trauma to whatever degree, sometimes they're the smaller traumas, but in, in that particular case is a, mm-hmm. a massive trauma. You know, it, yeah. is, it, is a, it, is, it is a pain point that eventually we will be forced to, well, we may not always be forced to, but at some point, in many cases, we are forced to revisit those pain points. And why are we forced to, to revisit those pain points? Because there's, there's a blockage, you're stuck. There's something about my life currently that doesn't feel right. Um, things may be going just fine. I may have a great job and, and a wonderful marriage and things are going good with my kids. And But there's something off. There's something that's preventing me from expressing, you know, the mm-hmm. joy, expressing appreciation, uh, gratitude. There is this almost malaise um yes that 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 many men are you know humans experience yeah this is a men's podcast so the men experience <laughs> and what happens is these pain points cause scarring so mm-hmm. what happens is if i if i cut myself and it heals and there's a severe scar it becomes difficult to feel it's mm-hmm. hard to mm-hmm. like if you touch that scar it's like it doesn't feel like another area, okay? There's a, other areas yeah. a little bit more softer, a little bit more delicate. Those scars make it difficult to feel. And so mm-hmm. when we've been hurt, when we've been traumatized, when we've experienced a, a, a extreme pain, we will develop these, these scars that are very, 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 very thick. I call them also, you know, armor, okay? It prevents us, yeah. from, being, it prevents us from being hurt. Well, you know, it's interesting, Omar. I had knee surgery in 1985. I had a, I have a 12 inch, I could measure bass for legality. I have a 12 inch scar on my leg from an anterior cruciate uh, surgery from a football injury. And it's really interesting. About two weeks ago, my wife was kind of rubbing my leg and she got up and down that scar. And I still, to this day, can't feel about a, an inch wide and that 12 inch strip 
but it hurts. It hurts. There's a pain there. And I told her, Hey, please don't touch that. It's really, really uncomfortable. And so when we think of scars, we think, Oh, the scar were healed. Well, that's not necessarily true. There's still residual effect from this scar, if you will. Scarring. Yes. Yes. And so what happens is this, we, the body stops being safe. Okay. So when we experience trauma, we will dissociate from our own body because mm -hmm. the body is experiencing an overload of emotions, fear, uh, anger, uh, desperation, okay, whatever those anxiety overwhelm. So a traumatic uh, situation happens. My body goes into an overload of emotions. My body becomes safe. And I dissociate from my body. And so what happens from that moment on is that any emotions, as emotions start to surface and make their way to the top, we want to immediately push them back down because they're just not safe. It's not safe to feel. Now, mm -hmm. I don't want to feel fear. I don't want to feel maybe frustration or anger or sadness or grief. So we'll push them down. However, I can't really tell which emotions are coming to the surface in the moment, right? Until they actually reach all the way. So they all become unsafe. So happiness, joy, fulfillment, we push those down as well. And, you know, and, you know, speaking of me telling this story and the tears coming up, okay? A part of me was pushing those down. It's like, come on, man, trying to get through this interview. Yeah. Okay. We don't need you yeah. falling apart. Okay. So there's that, that voice that's like, come on, keep it together. Okay. All right. Yeah. We've been through this before. You got this. Right. And then there's another part of me that's like, so great there. And there it comes. Right. So grateful. Yes. That this is what we're afraid of. This is why we don't emote. This is why we don't allow them to just kind of make their way through because there's a chance for vulnerability. There's this chance that somebody could see what, you know, the, the last podcast was talking about being soft or being weak. You know what I mean? And this is what men think about when they think about being soft and being weak, that if you are crying, if you're sharing a story and you get emotional, it's mm -hmm. a sign of weakness. And it's the furthest thing from a sign of it is the strongest thing that you can do is allow another man to see you cry, to to allow another man to hold space for you. OK, regardless of how uncomfortable they are and regardless of how comfortable you are. Okay? <laughs> yep. It is a containment. It is a container. And we provide containment for each other. Right. Just by listening, just by holding that space and going, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've. It's either one or the other, right? Where I'm tearing up and somebody tells me, just let it out, brother. Just let it, and boom, it just comes. And it's the same thing. You know, when I'm, I work with clients on Zoom every single day, you know, as, as a coach, and this is the kind of conversations that we're having, where we're getting to those root cause, we're getting to those pain points, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they're talking about these pain points and they're, very severe. We get to that place where there's enough confidence, there's enough rapport, and there's enough trust that they feel confident enough to tell me that they were molested or that they were beat up or they were bullied or uh, they were cheated on or whatever the case may be. And they tell it as though they were ordering a sandwich. Yep. It completely blocked off from the ability to feel. So what does that tell me? They they're still dissociated from the experience and they refuse to allow themselves or they've created a blockage, right? That is preventing them from actually re-experiencing it. But every time, and I'm, I'm, as I'm talking, I'm realizing what I'm doing, which is every time I share that story and every time I talk about, I even do this whenever I talk about my daughter and being in the delivery room, I automatically do this, right? And I'm just transported to that moment, right? And I can re-feel mm -hmm all of those feelings. And for many of us, those feelings are not safe. For whatever reason, there's a million reasons. There's just fear, there is vulnerability, there's embarrassment, there's shame, 
there is an opportunity to be re-traumatized or hurt or let down or disappointed or whatever the list of things is. Ultimately, this is what I help men work with is yeah. I discovered that for, for many, many years, my work with men was to help teach them how to feel and, and be emotional again, allow those emotions to like make their way to the, make their way out so they can fully express themselves um, as themselves. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that being emotive is a, a sign of manliness. I mean, obviously there's over the top one way or the other, but I go back to in America, we have this, uh, we have this generation of uh, men and women, we call them the greatest generation. Uh, they are, they fought in world war two. Uh, these, these men and women uh, did some amazing things in our country, but they're also called the silent generation because they refused, absolutely refused to talk about what happened during those four years uh, of their lives. And they, in some ways, really created trauma with their children, the baby boomers, right? And so there's, there is a, a swing where I'm not going to show emotion. There's also, I think, I think some of the younger generations are maybe too emotive, but there's that health between, hey, I, I'm going to bring out emotion. I, and I get emotional all the time, man. I'm Portuguese. So, you know, I mean, it, it's just the way it is for me. And I think there's a health to that, right? And I have a friend of mine who says this, and I, wanna, I want you to talk us through this. I have a friend of mine who says this. Hey, he goes, hey, create a crisis in your life. Create a crisis. He's always saying create a crisis. And when I hear you talking about identifying pain points, essentially what I hear you saying is, we want you to go back in time and create a present day crisis. Is, am I close? Absolutely. Because what I'm trying to do is effectively what just happened with me is as I'm sharing the experience, I'm able to feel those emotions again. But now mm -hmm. you're with me. Yeah, I got you. All right. I got you. I'm going to walk you through this and I'm going to allow you to feel all those feelings Okay, that that became very, very unsafe for you to feel back then because you didn't have someone to hold space for you. You had no one to go to and, and talk. I didn't have anyone to go back to. You talk about that that generation. My father's Colombian. My mother's Cuban. Right. My father comes from a very machista, very male-dominated yep. environment where men do not cry. I was told yep. at 16 years old, men don't cry. Wow. And I was from 16 until probably when I first got into recovery, did not shed a tear, did not mm. shed a tear. I saw my father cry once. Okay. It was when my grandmother died, his mother. Okay. It's the, it's the, it's the only time I saw my father cry. Okay. Wow. And I think he, he felt like that was allotted. I guess he must've felt that that was allotted. But other than that, he was, he was stern and tough. And he, he, he was always focused on, on, on manning me up. Right. I get yeah. his objective yep. was that I was weak and I was soft and I needed some manning up. And in, in, in retrospect, after listening to, you know, the other podcast, <laughs> Robert right, Owens, <laughs> Robert Owens, I was like, man, I was soft. Okay. Like I was, I was man. Right. I blamed yeah. my parents and, you know, and they did this to me and I was soft and weak and, you know, that kind of, but, you know, nonetheless, my father and I never had a conversation that was about, son, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. I can, I can see mm -hmm. that you're upset about this particular situation. Tell me about how you're feeling. How can I be there for you? How can I support you in this? Mm -hmm. Never happened. Never happened, you know, and he passed away when he was 67 years old of cirrhosis of the liver. You know, he basically ate, ate and drank himself to death. You know, um, and and so, yes, this is this is something that uh, I'm very grateful that today is not we're actually making these very radical leaps forward in personal development, in coaching, in therapy, in counseling. All of it is mainstream. OK, there is the, the stigma behind asking for help, which is another uh, a takeaway that I took. Like asking for help is not a sign of weakness asking for help Absolutely. is actually a sign of strength right yep. where yep. where you i cannot do this and i have to i have to be strong enough to embrace and accept when i can't go any further and i need a mentor or a coach or a therapist or a counselor and they're all available now and there's no taboos around it 
And mm-hmm. most people, to some degree, have had some sort of mentorship or had some sort of therapy or some sort of coaching. And it's really helping, like, in the masses, right? Where, where it's, yeah, it's, for it's, sure. And, and, and I'm very grateful for that. No, that's really good. So, so when you have a client come in and you're identifying these pain points, how do you help them? So I, I had this, I, I, I had, I met with a pastoral counselor about uh, probably in 2017, because I knew I was in a rut. I could tell something was wrong. I just couldn't identify it. And he walked me through a process that I re- I realize now is identifying some pain points from my past. But how do you walk a guy through that? In fact, it, how, if a guy, uh, most of our guys listen, are probably driving to work. If a guy's driving to and from work, is there, is there a way he can, in his brain, be, begin to process, well, what, what pain points might I have in my life or from my past? How do you, how do you help those guys identify that? Huh. As far as driving around in your car. Um, <laughs> yeah. You might get a little bit teary in there. That, that, yeah. Well, uh, it's also, you know, sometimes it's just a series of questions. Okay. So yeah. here's where it typically starts. Mom and dad. So those are the, those are the, those are the first two. So what was my relationship with my mother? What was my relationship with my father? What's my, what's my earliest traumatic memory with my father? What's my earliest traumatic memory with my mother? And usually mm. something comes up. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that's where you would begin. And so the next step from that is um, there's a process called StoryWorks um, that I do with my clients. Um, it, it all depends on their willingness to do homework, right? Yeah, But for ideally, sure. you have a story in your mind. And what happens is that particular story has a series of emotions tied to it. And if I don't want to feel those emotions, right, then that that story stays kind of in the background, right? It comes up every once in a while when when I'm frustrated or angry or, you know, it just reminds me just like my mother used to do this to me and, you know, my dad used to say this to me and it comes out like that and your wife wife ends up the one getting it, okay? Or your kids end up getting it, right? Because I'm triggered by this, by this, by, by this emotion, right. That's triggered by a language or a story. So Mm -hmm. ideally what I like to do is get somebody to write out that story. Okay. So first they, they write it all out because from here to here, there's a magic thing that starts to happen. Okay. There is a transformation that begins as, as, as soon as I, I'm taking ownership of this now. Okay, I am, you know, and there it's also your writing. Okay, so now it's not just a mental thinking thing. You're actually doing something kinesthetically. You are physically Mm. writing it out, just like when you're speaking. So a lot of times when I'm, uh, that's the magic of of coaching and therapy and and counseling is that as the person is talking, they're, they're also vomiting or purging a lot of what is stuck in here. Okay. Oh, it's just stuck yeah, in here. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just running. But as soon as I say it out loud, it starts to transform. The energy starts to change. They start to feel things. Ideally, the hope is that they would start to feel some things. But regardless, Absolutely. it starts to change. Okay. There's a little lightness that starts to sort of appear. Why? Because they're purging a lot of this toxicity, a lot of this negativity that's just been swirling around in their head. Now you have the people that are oversharers. Okay, that live in victim mindset. And they just yeah, go around totally. sharing the same story, whoever will listen. Okay. But they're not connecting with the story anymore. That's a vehicle uh, for getting yep. attention. Yep. It's for those people that have not told this story to anyone. Okay. Because it's so painful. It's so vulnerable. And it's just running circles in their heads. Okay. And as soon as they start to talk, they'll start to feel the relief. As soon as they start writing it down, it starts to change emotionally, mentally. The story starts to, and as you're writing it down, you're like, God, you know, as I'm writing this, hmm, maybe it's, maybe it's different. Maybe actually the way, ah, maybe it's this. The minute that happens, there's a break in the circuitry. It's like a, it's a pattern interrupt. Okay. Yes. And then all, all I need is a, the smallest, the smallest shift in the story to, to almost go, what is the story that I've been telling myself all of these years? Is it even true? 
Is it, is it, is it a hundred percent true? And then as soon as I, it's almost like putting it on a, a witness stand. Okay. So I could put this, I could put this story on a witness stand and really start to come at it. Is this a hundred percent true? What evidence do we have to support this information? Okay. And so a lot of times as we do that, and then I'll have them, once they write it out, I have them read it back to me. Okay. So Omar, is this, is this what, is this what we understand as NLP or neuro linguistic programming, or is it something yes. different? Anytime it neuro brain linguistic language programming, it's all programming, Jim. <laughs> I won't tell anybody. It's all programming. <laughs> Everything that we do is a program. We're basically artificial intelligence. And we are this little, tiny, little virtual, it is this AI system that doesn't have any capacity to care for itself. Zero, none. Can't hold a fork, can't hold a conversation, can't wipe its own butt. It is, it is incapable of caring for itself. What happens? Well, it just needs to be programmed. Okay. You hold it this mm. way. No, you hold it this way. No, you hold it that way. Okay, how do you hold a fork? Do you hold it this way or do you hold it this way? Okay, it's all programming. Everything is programming. So anytime you can take a program, because it's a line of code, the story is just a line of code. And that line of code, when it gets triggered, prompts emotions. Okay. Mm. Yeah, for sure. As soon as I'm able to change even one line of code, it, the experience gets changed. And as emotions start to drop off from that story, from that experience, the charge, okay, I'm no longer re-triggered by it. It becomes, um, and even as I, if I think about it, as I think about even telling my story of, of my daughter, am I being triggered? I'm trying to think about if I'm, if, if I was, I get, yeah, sure, sure, I was triggered. I was triggered by... But what was I triggered by? Yes. The question is, what am I being triggered by? I'm either being triggered by victimization. I'm either triggered by being uh, violated or abused. Okay. Pain. Or in this particular case, it's I'm triggered by gratitude. I'm triggered by, by love. I'm triggered by appreciation, like deep, deep, deep appreciation and love. So being triggered is unavoidable as I'm talking myself through this, right? But totally. how, how it affects me, how that trigger, which emotions are triggered is going to make all the difference. So NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, is the idea is to start changing, softening the neural pathways that have been so hardwired in there and creating new neural pathways. And a lot of times what happens is as they're reading back the story, something will typically happen they will either not be able to connect with the story as they're reading it the way they used to, or it will trigger a very heavy, heavy emotion. Okay. Yeah. And in that moment, I will invite them to allow that feeling to just make its way through. Yep. Okay? Yep. Right. Let's just, I go, I go, let's just do, let's, let's just, let's check in with your emotions. Now that you're done reading that, tell me what's the overreaching feeling. What, what is the feeling that, that is surfacing at the moment, right? And they're like, sadness, man. And then I'll say, mm. I want you to allow yourself to feel that sadness. Let's feel that sadness together. Let's go into it, right? Mm. Tell me a little bit yeah. more about that sadness, right? And as they start speaking, okay, when we're talking, it's, it's, a, it's an act. If I'm sitting still, I can, I can hold tight, okay? But if I'm speaking, it becomes very difficult to, as a, as a machine, as a mechanism, to, to operate so many functions at the same time. So repressing and suppressing becomes very difficult as I'm sharing again about this sadness. I go, you know, I'm feeling, not only am I feeling sad for myself, I'm, I'm thinking about what my dad must have been going through in that time. And boom, usually when they say something like that, a sense of compassion kind of like overwhelms them uh -huh. and then yeah. boom, the tears come out. The objective is always the same for me. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to get you to feel, I'm trying to get you to feel, I'm trying to get you to feel because their feelings are what 
are what keep you safe, what guide you, what, what, what give you direction, what help you make decisions, feelings, emotions. They're everything. They are absolutely everything. And if you've taken the dimmer switch and dulled them down, then it's hard to connect with your intuition. It's hard to connect with your ability to make good decisions. Okay. It's hard to connect with your heart. Okay. Yeah. And make, make those decisions that are, that, that are emotional decisions. So where do we get stuck? We get stuck in here. Right. So I get stuck in here, which means all this area down here is not getting utilized. Yep. Right. And it creates dis-ease because the emotions get stuck. They get stuck in here. It's dis-ease, disease. It manifests itself physically. Right. You'll get breakouts, hives, you know, hypertension, oh, for sure. diabetes, all of these, all of these physical manifestations are emotions that are stuck within the body and creating disease. Right. So this is always as, as, as a coach, right. A lot of things that I discovered when I hired my NLP coach, they, he took me, I basically took the same process he took me through and, you know, I, I, I also got my certification through, through that coach. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I had some of the most emotional breakthroughs imaginable in, in, in about an eight hour period of time. Okay. Within a break, wow. you know, breaking up the sessions. Um, it was the most profound experience of my life. It's when I knew what my calling was. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. I, I it, going back to the 12 step recovery, um, I'm no longer in 12 step recovery. I've kind of evolved, um, totally. but I, but I spent a good, uh, 17 years in, in 12 step recovery and wow. between 10 and 15 of those years, I dedicated to sponsoring men. So all of my mentorship and coaching, you know, was, was harnessed in, you know, with over decades of and hours and hours of work. When you talk about that thousand hours of, of, of to become a master, it's a thousand hours to master. I didn't realize what I was doing at the time because as a 12 step sponsor, you don't charge, right? So there's yep. an interesting thing that happens when you don't charge it. You don't, you, you take it for granted that the, the gifts and the skills that you, that you have within you that allow you to, to insightfully instinctively sort of guide men through whatever they're going. I mean, it was whatever, Money, yeah. jobs, relationships, you know, all of these, you know, fatherhood, right? Where does it, there's this, there's so an intuition when you, when you open, okay? When, when that, when, when that vulnerability, when you allow yourself to be vulnerable, and this is very important too, your ability to emote, okay? Uh, also allows you to connect more, um, I guess, vigorously or rigorously with your intuition. And if you are well connected with your intuition, you are going to make a lot less bad decisions and bad choices than the opposite. Well, that's what I was going to lead into. We're talking about uh, becoming emotive, letting those feelings flow and the importance of that. Uh, we, you, on your website, you talk about this deeper work within, and then mm -hmm. you, you wrote, I think twice on your website, you said this quote, I help individuals get out of their own way so they can achieve their desired goals and objectives through coaching and emotional healing work. But let's transition because you talked about intuition. To me, that's a mental thing. Can you talk about the relationship uh, with this neural pro, uh, neuro-linguistic programming and overcoming the mental block side of uh, a person's life? Well, if we're going to be talking about intuition, that is not a mental thing. That is a Okay, no. Thing. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Okay. What is when somebody says, I should have listened to myself. I knew I was going in the wrong direction. I knew I shouldn't have done this. Oh, yeah. Tell me how. Tell me how you knew. Well, my gut was telling me. My gut. Oh, was I hear you saying. With that, what, what is that intuition coming from? You know, it's coming from. God coming from my higher self. It's coming from usually I would say your, your higher self. Okay. There is the deeper work lies within. Why? Because as I strip away all of the armor, as I start to heal the trauma, 
as I start to reconnect with my emotions, I start to reconnect with myself because I start to feel reintegrated with myself. I'm no longer afraid to be in my body. And in my body is where all of the, 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 the really good information that I have, all the, all the information that I need that I want to access about making good choices and making good decisions comes from the gut. There is a feeling, sensations that happen, right? When you're around somebody, so I'll just ask you, Jim, when you're around somebody and you can tell uh, this person is not in alignment with who I am, okay? There's an energy, there's a felt sense energy that is not my guy, is not my guy. Well, I would say also I have a moral compass that would cognitively tell me what the right choice is. So, so I would say for me, making a right choice is not an intuitive thing. It's a cognitive thing because I know what in my repertoire is right or wrong. So for me, it's a conscious choice because I've gone with my gut before and I'm like, dang, that was like crap in the bed because <laughs> my feelings will not always tell me the truth, right? Like for example, if I'm fighting with my wife, I may say, man, I hate you right now. I'm, I'm not feeling love for you at all but I choose to love her because I know that's what I'm called to do. So for me, I would differ a little bit. I, I want to talk about that mental part though. How do you help these guys overcome these mental blocks? Cause I think the mental blocks, I know in my life, that's a, a massive problem, right? Every day I'm trying to talk myself out of working out or talk myself out of being kind or talk myself out of eating horribly. Let's talk about these mental blocks. The mental blocks come from not having a strong enough. Why? Okay. So a uh, lot of times, a lot of times I, I want to do certain things or I want to look better. Or I want to feel better, but where's my motivation? So motivation, one aspect of motivation comes from dopamine. Okay. So mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. mental block is, you know, I, I can't, I can't do this or, you know, I, 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 I want to get in shape or I want to start an early routine right? But I just can't find the time or I can't get up early or I can't, right? Can't right there, right? When someone, there's the mental block, the word can't. Yep, for sure. Absolutely. It's just, yep. there's your mental block. It's so simple. These mental blocks are the words we use on ourselves. So the minute oh, I say, wait. I can't. Say that again. Say that again. Say that no, again. It's, it's words. It's just these very simple, basic words that are the mental blocks, Right. The That's minute so I say good. to myself, I can't get up at five o'clock in the morning. Guess what? You're right. You're I can't absolutely get up right. At five o'clock in the morning. Right. And so yep, usually true. to help them with the mental blocks, it's like, what is it that you want to do? Okay. Well, I, this is what I want. Okay, great. Right. Well, why don't you? Well, I can't. Okay. Well, all right. Well, let's just change that word. Can't for, I, I could get up at five o'clock in the morning. Right. Okay. Yeah. You know, just say that. Just I want you to say it out loud. Just say, I could get up at five o'clock. Right. I, I just I just choose not to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah, sure. Right. Well, you know, I I, I, I yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say I could get up at five o'clock in the morning. Now what are we doing? We took a hard, we took a hard no and we softened yep. it. We turned it into a maybe. Yep. Absolutely. Okay? We turned it into a maybe. Well, all I'm doing is again, I'm trying to soften the neural pathways in the brain. Cause it's right now is I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay. And what, you know, that can't word is a, an incredibly powerful mental block, right? Then there's absolutely the right. And then I say, well, let's just, let's just try this out for size. Okay. I want you to say, I can get up at five o'clock in the morning. Right. And they're like, I can get up at five o'clock in the morning. All right. How does that feel? Yeah, it doesn't feel, yeah, it feels pretty good. Like, I'm like, huh, it's all, what all we did was I tried to tap into releasing a little bit of dopamine, just a little bit of dopamine, a little bit of feel good. Okay. What? Because when we say words that are empowering, mm -hmm. okay, it empowers us. It releases chemicals in our body. When I say can't, I'm, I'm probably producing some cortisol, a stress response. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting, Omar, you know, I'm, I'm 56, right? So I'm getting to the point where my 20 something sons, I mean, now I'm struggling to keep up with them. Right. So I have found that to overcome the mental blocks, I've had to, I have to put little wins 
in my path. For example, we're big hunters, right? So uh, if a guy kills an elk, it's about a hundred pounds of elk to carry an elk quarter out of the mountains. I'm going, man, I'm not sure I can do this. So I thought, okay, I'm going to start with 40 and I'm going to start hiking with 40. Well, then 60. Well, then yesterday I put a hundred pound sandbags on my back and I humped them up a mile and back. And I thought, okay, now I can, because I trained my mind through little wins. Does that make sense? So the five o'clock guy, maybe he starts working up, waking up at, I don't know, six o'clock instead of nine o'clock. No, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it's it, the wins, the wins represent the wins will also release dopamine. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. okay. And so it's super important. I talk about the wins all the time and also celebration. Okay. We don't, yep, for we don't, sure. we don't celebrate, we don't, we don't acknowledge or create wins. We don't create opportunities for wins with these small wins and we don't celebrate them enough. I, I, I agree. So I have a text thread with my sons. I've got three sons and an adopted son. And I sent, I keep sending them these reports. Hey, I did this day. I did this day. And then they celebrate with me. It's creating a little community of celebrating a win. Well, once you start looking forward to the wins and the celebrations versus dreading getting up by yourself at five o'clock in the morning with no one to cheer you. Okay. There's no one to cheer you on except for yourself. Absolutely. And you have, <laughs> and you're very, very capable of cheering yourself on. Make, let me make it very clear to you. Anyone could give themselves an attaboy. Well done. Yep, for sure. Nicely done. Well yep. done. Proud of you. I'm proud. And as a matter of fact, as you guys are hearing this, Try it just for a moment. Just tap your shoulder, okay? It doesn't matter which shoulder, but just tap your shoulder on yourself and tell you, good job. I'm proud of you. Good job. Proud of you. I bet you you feel it. Dopamine. It sends, dopamine. It sends, yes, dopamine. And also sends a nice, energetic, sort of like fatherly, like, I could do this to myself. Like, I could actually be proud of myself. You better believe it. And that's also part of the work, you know, like I can't tell you how many times I've been on a call with someone where I've said, have you ever said that you're proud of yourself? You know? Mm. And they're like, no, I go, let's do that right now. I want you to tell you, I want you to say, I'm proud of me. Like, and I get, I listen, there's so much resistance. I'm tearing up right now. Yeah. There's that's so deep. much resistance to saying, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And then they, then they finally say, I'm so proud of you. And I say, now say it with your name at the end. Wow. Okay. Right. And the, the, the work that I do as I evolve, as I evolve even in my own practice, I realized that, you know, I was put on this earth to help men feel, you know, to, yep. to really get in touch with, with, with that because those mental blocks are those nasty words, those negating words that I can't, I won't, you know, it's not possible, right? And where does that stem from, right? It stems from trauma, it stems from fear, it stems from disappointment and setbacks and failures. So, well, you know, it's interesting. Well, and I'm willing and able to embrace the suck of life, whether that be working out, watching what yep. I eat, overcoming some kind of block. If I know I have people who want me to win and will genuinely celebrate those wins when they happen. Well, you talked about trauma. Do, you, and Yeah, well, talk no, about let, trauma. Let, let, let me just, let, real quick. We cannot yeah. do this alone. And when I say so I, That is this, very powerful. When I say this, I mean this hero's journey, life, we can't do it alone. See, I agree with you 100%. I think it's so important. And I often wonder why men are so willing. Maybe it's their default setting to isolate. I don't know. It's, it's, but, it's, it's, it's the caveman. Um, yeah. You know, sort of. Quienes mas macho. Quienes yeah, mas macho. <laughs> well, we're like bears. Okay. And we do need to hibernate. Okay. We yeah. do need, you know, it's funny because at the beginning of the podcast, you were talking about. I want to make sure nobody comes in and nobody disrupts, you know, the podcast, you know, and I'm like, nobody's coming in my office. Okay. <laughs> like I'm, I'm taking for granted that, you know, this is my man cave. Okay. Yeah. And so yeah. I have a specific space 
for myself that is just for me and very few men have it. I would highly recommend it because we do need that, that, that space away from others, right? Where we can process our feelings and emotions. Maybe I need a place where mm -hmm. I can cry openly. Okay. I need a place where I can meditate. I need a place where I can just be away from distractions. Right. So I can for center sure. myself. Right. And, and, yep. and, and connect. Right. So, but, but there are extremes and isolating. All right. And then, it's, and when I'm stuck and I'm, I'm very, very challenged. Right. And I go into my man cave and I can't make my way out no matter what, no matter how much isolating I do, then the strength comes from asking for help and reaching out to the men in your life that, that it usually starts with, I, I'm, I'm stuck right now. I'm not quite sure why I'm not feeling well. And I'm just reaching out. I need to like reach out. Cause a lot of times I can't even articulate. And the, the reason why you can't articulate is because you're about to feel some and you don't want to feel <laughs> yeah, it. Okay. For sure. So I don't get on the call because a lot of times the minute I get on the call, something is going to happen. I'm going to feel some things I don't want to feel. And I don't want to share this with somebody else. And this is where the men, this, this separates the men from the boys. Okay. And not really because boys are not going to have a problem crying. Okay. So it, it separates the unevolved man. Males, the, the males man. from the men. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. And that, let me segue that to trauma. So trauma, yes. if you've, if there's a beautiful, I'll recommend this to everyone, a beautiful documentary by Gabor Mate called the wisdom of trauma. And so there is a segment in there where he talks about trauma. And so what is trauma? Trauma is not just what happened to you. Trauma is your inability to share and express what happened to you with someone that will hold that space for you in the most sacred and healthy way. That's, can you say that again? That was really powerful. Okay. So trauma is not just what happens to you. It is the inability to share and express that trauma with someone else who has the capacity, has the, the, the ability to contain that space, hold that space for you, right? So that they can help you process that trauma. Because all you're doing is just, you're just processing emotions, okay? Yeah. So yeah. for sex, so a kid gets abused as a child and they got abused by their parents, Okay. So they've got no one to share this with. And if they tell anyone and then the parents find out about it, they're in more danger. So the trauma is them having to relive and revisit and live in fear of being re-traumatized, being hurt again, and not having an outlet. So it's like reliving the trauma because I have so much uncertainty about, is it going to happen again? Could it happen again? And yeah. so this is this trauma... The, the minute you start vocalizing what happens to you with someone who can hold that space, who can love you, who can, who can, who can tell you it's going to be okay, man. Like no matter what you tell me, it's going to be okay. Right. Mm. Just whatever it is, man, it's going to, and whatever it is, is usually something pretty deep and pretty painful and so the emotions are just going to come out. And what happens in that moment is that trauma, if it's at a level 100, okay, going into the experience, it's going to drop at least 50% the minute you share it with someone that's qualified to share it with. And well, I have a question what related happens to is, real quick, real quick. And if it were someone who is like experienced, like myself, okay, you can, as soon as they share it, Right? I will usually ask, what did that lead you to believe about yourself? Hmm. What did that end up meaning to you? What did that mean about yourself? Right. So I'll ask two very powerful questions. And then based on their answer, I will usually try and reframe the story or reframe the meaning into a much more empowering outcome. Because it's just a story. Wow. Yeah. 
So Omar, we've got a lot of guys. I'm going to climb up on the razor's edge here. Uh, this is going to be really interesting. I have got a lot of guys in this, in this space, a lot of guys, thousands and thousands of guys who have experienced religious trauma. Mm-hmm. So they've been wounded. I, I don't call it that. I say they've been wounded by somebody in the church. And, and you said that you asked this question, what did, what did that lead you to believe about yourself? Mm-hmm. With religious trauma, I wonder if the right question would rather be, what did that lead you to believe about God? How do you okay. work? I know you deal with religious trauma. I know you dealt with it in your own journey. How do you help guys? Like we got guys right now going, man, screw the church. Hey, screw God. I mean, hey, man, Jesus. Okay, but man, this whole religion thing. How do you help these guys? We and I know we're running out of time, so I hope I didn't unleash a Pandora's box here. But how do you help guys who have experienced uh, genuine religious uh, trauma or woundedness? So it only comes from my own experience. Okay, so when I'm working with religious trauma, I use my own story because I've experienced it, and then based mm-hmm. on that. Okay, I hold that space for them to share their particular story and their their own struggles. But for me, I'm going to speak freely here. Okay, okay. Yeah. So so for me, I had lumped up, and this is just my own belief system. Okay, my own belief system is that there is only one God. This is my own belief. So I'll just express to you my own belief. So I believe there's only one God, and there's hundreds, maybe thousands of different religions. Right. So for me, they're all vehicles. They're all vehicles to connect with this one God. And they've just created different vehicles to connect, to connect with it. Now, back when I was, you know, being raised as a Jehovah's Witness, I was just a kid. I was a kid that didn't celebrate birthdays, that didn't celebrate Christmas, that wasn't allowed to go to school functions. Okay. That was separated, segregated, made to feel different. Okay. And it, 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 really, really had a detrimental effect on my self-worth, on my self-esteem, on my ability to connect with the other kids. I felt different. I felt like an outcast. So yeah. I blame the religion. I, I blame my mom. You know, I, I blame God, right? So when I turned 18 years old, I said, screw this. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm 18. I can do whatever I want, right? And I jumped headfirst into Sodom and Gomorrah, just this hedonistic... <laughs> You know, hedonistic. Oh man! You know, sex. You aren't the first one, brother. Yeah, you aren't the first one. Hardcore, (laughs) hardcore. Yeah, right. It almost killed me. It almost killed me. It destroyed my marriage. And if if it wasn't for my daughter, I wouldn't be on this call with you today. Probably wouldn't be here. Mm. Okay, she saved my life. Right, and so there was that moment for me, which I told you at the beginning of this episode where I got on my knees and I asked whatever God was out there to, to either take me out of this world or help me get clean. Mm. And the next morning I wake up and the only thing I can remember and see vividly is this therapist who'd given me this direction, you know, or to go to 12 step meetings that are free, you know? And I was like, and then I just got out of bed and got dressed and drove to this guy's office, right? Like there was something out of my control in that moment because I surrendered to it. Mm. And I realized mm-hmm. God's always been with me. And I remember this undeniable feeling one time where I was like, where again, I'll, I'll, I'll defer to my psychedelic experiences. I had done some, I had done ayahuasca in one of my journeys. And yeah, I was connecting with my father who had passed away, you know, and he's like, I've always been with you. Right. And all of a sudden I realized I was talking to God, you know, like I was, there's this God presence there. He goes, Omar, I have never not been by your side. Mm, I've always been there for you. And I will always be there for you. You just ask, you just call when you need me. I will be there for you. And so for me, my relationship with God did not come from the church. It did not come from religion. It did not come from a book. It did not come from readings. It came from me being in a point in my life 
where there was nothing else left, nothing else left for me to reach to except something greater than me that I didn't know if he existed or she existed or did exist or whatever the, well, however you want to, uh, whatever way you want to connect. Right. But for me, it was from that moment on, my life's going to be different. I am not going to be the same man that I was. I am going to start living my life from different values, different principles. Okay. I am going to do things differently. I'm going to live in a much more godly way. Okay. And so my reconnection with God allowed me to reconnect with spirituality. It allowed me to reconnect with a practice that separated me from, from religion, but allowed me to reconnect with God in a way that I never knew was possible. And so for me, when I'm dealing with religious trauma and helping people with religious trauma, it's like, you may have thrown the baby out with the bathwater. Let's start there. God has got nothing to do with this. And you can choose to believe whatever it is you choose to believe, because that's how I believe. I choose, I chose to believe whatever it is that I chose to believe. And it, it affected me in different areas of my life, in my, in my teens and in my 20s and in my 30s. Those belief systems about God affected my life in different ways because I acted very Absolutely. differently. I acted very differently. As soon as I allowed the God of my understanding to come into my life, my life like it almost instantaneously changed because I saw myself, I saw God, I saw spirituality in a very different way. And I knew the kind of man that I wanted to be. I knew the kind of father I wanted to be. I knew the kind of husband I wanted to be. I knew the kind of man, the kind of leader, okay? The kind of mentor, the kind of coach I wanted to be. And I wanted to lead with love. I wanted to lead with God. I wanted to lead with spirituality. Devoid from any religious um, beliefs or indoctrinations, right? So yeah. there's there's where my segue is, is when, when, when men are very religious averse or experience a lot of religious trauma, I go... Let's start here. Let's start mm-hmm. with let's start with the with with the question. What if God has nothing to do with religion? Then how would you feel about God? Mm-hmm. And then it's really it's really about like softening again, it's language used to soften up very hard sort of boundaries and protective shields that have no, you're you're missing out, man. Okay, if you're not connected with God, if you're not connected with spirituality, if you don't have a spiritual practice, you're missing out because there is a feeling associated with knowing that you are never alone that allow you to get through anything. Wow. Well, that's that's really good, man. And I you said something really powerful early on. You said it's a relationship with God that does not come from religion. And I think that's a great starting point when guys experience a woundedness from religious organizations that have hurt them. And so, man, that's, that's so good, man. Hey, Omar, how can our guys, I, I know that you offer a free consultation on your website. Yes. How do I got, how do I guys reach out to you? Uh, what's your website address? Um, it's omarpinto.com. That's it. You can get all the pod, the, the podcast is on the website. My social media is on the website, uh, setting up a call with me. Um, if it's book, cause right now, like there's, there's no, there's no availabilities for the free consultations. Just email me. There's an email right there. Okay. Omar yep. Pinto, Omar Pinto coaching at gmail.com. Right. Um, email me and just say, Hey, listen, I, I heard you. I'm in the arena, right? I, I'd love to set up a, a, a free call with you. And usually I have cancellations throughout the week. So I'll plug, I'll plug guys in there. Um, you know, thank God uh, my business is, is, doing phenomenal. Um, and, and so, um, I'm able to, to impact and help both men and women. I, I, I would say I probably 50, 50, uh, of, of wow. my clients. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm very excited, uh, for this episode to launch, man. This has been a great interview. Oh man. It, I have really had a good time with you, man. I, I feel like we got some kind of, like, I felt like I was interviewing myself, you know, we're kind of, I'm having to stop from over talking, you know, cause like, I, you know, it's been really good, man. I really have appreciated your emotion, your heart, your honesty. Hey guys, what's next? What action step are you going to take because of what you heard today? And I thought about this and I, and I thought, man, this is going to be hard for me and I'm going to do it. 
I want you to look yourself in the eye. So go home, look in the mirror and just say, I love you, man. I'm proud of you, man. And then say, I love you, Jim. I love you. I'm proud of you, Jim. I want you to say that. I think that's really going to be cathartic. I think it's going to be a good thing for you guys. Hey, guys, uh, thanks so much, Omar, for coming on our show, man. I had a great conversation, brother. Much love. God bless. You too, bro. Hey, man, make sure you head on over to our website, pick up a, your free copy of my book, Tell Them What Great Fathers Tell Their Sons and Daughters. While you're there, make sure to sign up. Join one of our many, many, many virtual teams that are launching this fall. Click the Join Our Program button. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. Overcome those mental blocks and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at menintheArena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.